I want to uh, encourage us in these weeks to do as you feel led. I know that there's certain protocols that uh, are handicapping. We don't know what the government will stipulate and the encouragement that they'll give, but um, we are going to walk this out, and our interest was, oh, there we go. Our interest was, here, there we go. That's why we have extra people. Um, our interest was in being able to do the best we could in accommodating for um, those of you who wanted to come and worship in um, a public setting and also to be able to do well with those who are watching by live stream. And um, the governor said what? I think it's a week from tomorrow that he was going to reevaluate how many people could be in a room and some of those other kinds of things. And so we're just going to walk that out. And so I thank you for being able to do that with us. We are going to um, look at God's word today uh, in a series that we have been in. And uh, I had said when we got back in the building that we were going to, um, that we were going to celebrate the resurrection. And that's what we've been doing because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, uh, in that, um, I'm also mindful of the events of this week. And so, sort of midweek, I changed course. I changed course in what I felt that we needed to be sharing on and uh, trying to just um, identify what God would say to us as a community of people with um, the racial injustice issue, the concern about the unrest in our society. It's really at a place and a level that's a lot bigger and stronger than I would have uh, thought last week even as it's played its way out. And so with that, I want to um, turn us to a verse up here on the screen. And um, this verse, some of you have mentioned to me this week, if my people who are called by my name will humble my, themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal, heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14. And so what I'd like to do before we jump into God's word today uh, on this series, The New Normal, is to be able to um, pray. Jesus wanted his church to be a house of prayer. And so as a house of prayer, we should pray. And it's not just the people up front that pray. I want us to pray. And I know you've been praying, and whether it's, hey, let's get through the COVID thing, God heal our land that way from a pandemic, or this last uh, 12 days of protest uh, as, you know, rightfully seeking justice for um, equality of all people. I want us to pray for just a few moments. And whether you're in-house or you're at your home, um, let's be obedient to this prayer. But I want to encourage us about who we pray to. Who we pray to, it says this um, in... Um, Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Life and faithfulness go before you. That's the God that we have. That's who you pray to. That's who I pray to. It's a God who equally holds what's right and what is just simultaneously together. And it also says this then in Isaiah 58, 12. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the reaper, repairer of the breach, and the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Now, I find that a very interesting verse, don't you? Because that's exactly the God that we need. Someone who can repair the breach in the walls and the divides, and a God who can restore the streets that we dwell in. And not restore them back to what we had, but to restore them to something better, something that has more righteousness and more justice, that it would continue to flow. And so, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal. And so the prayer time that we're going to have here today, and I'm really glad that it's able to be in-house as well at the home, we need as a body of people to pray. And so, let's do that. I'm going to give you a few moments of silence. You can pray out loud. You can pray quietly to yourself. 
that the God, who is the repairer of the breach, and the God, who is the restorer of the streets, the God who holds justice and righteousness equally in hand, would go about healing not only our land and nation, but even our own valley and our own communities. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you indeed that we're able to come to you because you're the mighty one who can save and heal. Jesus, you are God and you carry both justice and righteousness equally together. Lord, for the brokenness that's come about from this event of 12 days ago, but really it's an event that spans hundreds of years for us as a nation, uh, that of injustice. We come to you and we humble ourselves and we as a people, as individuals, we ask for, for your forgiveness and that you would continue to work in our hearts as individuals, in our lives, as families, as a church, a community, and a nation, that we would be individuals who would walk according to your desires for all people that you've created. And Lord, we ask not only that you would hear our prayers, but to hear the prayers of others, especially those who are under brokenness and um, perceived of uh, difficulties and all kinds of dimensions, Lord, whether that be for um, those of different ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds, Lord, or other kinds of differences that identify them, Lord, or whether it be for um, special forces and uh, our police officers, Lord, there's all kinds of difficulties that have risen through this and individuals that we need to be praying for, business owners and otherwise, Lord. What the adversary wants to do is bring division. What the adversary wants to do is bring about more brokenness. What the adversary wants to do is destroy the image of God that is seen in every individual. And so we identify our true enemy here this morning and we call him out. Adversary Satan, you have no rights whatsoever to continue to bring brokenness and division. Not only in our nation, Lord, but maybe even in our families, in our church, in our community. And we ask God that through your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this season that's upon us as a nation and that you would raise up a fresh perspective and a fresh new heart that you would raise up a fresh obedience to your word. And Lord, as we look into your word today, may we turn our hearts to it and may we receive from your Holy Spirit for our own individual conviction even, Lord, in our hearts. So Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the people's receptivity. I thank you for this season for us as a church as we've re-entered into a facility and we're able to reach even more people through a live stream. I ask God that you would help us to... Um, Attune ourselves not only to you, but also to one another as we reunite, as we regather as your body known as the Awakening Church. In God's name, as people said, amen, amen. Well, the new normal, that's the series we've been in, how things have changed, not only because of COVID for us in our everyday life, but how things have changed since Jesus Christ planted himself here on this earth, and through his life, his death, his resurrection, he became the change agent for all times. And you and I, when we are in eternity, we will look back on that day when he died, and when he rose from the grave, and the power of Satan 
that we just prayed against was broken and so that we come into a new normal. And that new normal has different kinds of aspects to it. And we're going to be looking at a new normal aspect today that I believe ties directly into um, his heart for us in this hour with the people. It was the Apostle Paul who said this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. For because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now... We must put to death all things. You must get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Do not be encumbered by the things of sin. For here, we together are a new creation, and there is neither Greek nor Jew, neither circumcised or uncircumcised, neither barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as dearly loved children, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have with one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, we were called to peace. Don't you just sort of want to listen to scripture like that and hug it? And embrace it. When you hear all the bantering and the complaining and, and the divisiveness and, and the, the rightful, yes, uh, the concerns, there's just the brokenness of our culture and all that's going on. There's just like, let us hear truth. Let us spring into the arms of God. No social distancing with God. He desires for us to take his truth and allow that truth to not only become mindful in our brains, not only become known in our hearts, but for us to become gripped with that kind of truth and live out a life in accordance to His Word. And so when you get tired of listening to the news, guess what you can do? You can go to the Word of God. And you can read and I can read. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I've had to make a change in my routine. I like to watch the news and stay abreast of things, and I do that through television and, and the news programs sometimes. I also watch it. Uh, I mean, I also read and do that, but I have had to choose to not watch news too much at all because it gets the inside of me going in a place that's not healthy. Have you been there? And I need to be in a good space, not that I want to ignore the problems or address them, we're addressing them here today, but I need to address it from an interior life that's rooted in the scripture that causes me to respond well and not respond out of a reaction or because of the influence of whoever it may be. I want to have a godly influence, whether it's with a COVID pandemic, or whether it's social injustice, I want to be like Christ. And I trust you are as well. The Apostle Paul, when he made these statements, it's interesting, is it not? He said, you must rid yourself of all such things. This is your responsibility. It just doesn't, you don't just get zapped. You have to make decisions in your life to rid yourself of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your... You are placing yourself in a position for the Holy Spirit to work through your life. And so it's a discipline that you and I engage in. Since you have taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image 
of the Creator. You and I have active work to do. And it's not just for our own life, it's for those of us around one another, to encourage one another. The old life, the old self, take it off, put on the new self, the new self, it's being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator. This whole disrest, not just in the last 12 days, but the whole disrest going back to the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, and even the first murder that happened with Cain and Abel, the adversary has been seeking to destroy the image of God in the human life that's created. And whether he destroys it by snuffing out the very life itself, as what happened with George Floyd when the police officer wrongly placed a knee on his neck for an extended period of time, or whether it's by crushing people and getting them so divisive and concerned or economically broken, you name it, that they can't even say that they're alive, even though they're existing in the world. His desire is to crush people. And one of the most important things that we can do on this journey of social justice and righteousness being upheld, because that's who our God is, the God who's the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets. One of the most important things that we can do is identify who the real enemy is. I went back and read some of my paper I wrote for my doctoral project this last week. Now, normally I wait a long time after I've written something to read it because I don't think it's very good. But when I went back and I read this one section about one author, my heart was quickened. I was like, that's not only written fairly well, but what the guy was saying was spot on. And he was a dean of uh, the psychology department at a Christian university in Texas. And he wrote a book um, about Satan and people not believing in Satan anymore. Reviving Old Scratch is the name of the book by Richard Beck. And Richard Beck says that he changed the, what his belief was concerning the devil and a real Satan when he started working in prisons. Because in prisons, you find a belief in evil. People know that evil exists. And so he began to talk with them and interact with them. And uh, he realized that even he as a Christian is like, well, I don't believe in not that there's a personification of evil in our will, but that there is a person of evil behind things. And he started to realize that what happens in our culture, and this is the thing I give our attention to, is when we don't identify that there is evil, that there is a person behind evil, and this is not being dismissive of evil that works its way through the lives of individuals, but if we don't step back and understand the bigger picture and realize who the enemy really is, then what happens with people in those kinds of cultures is they begin to turn on one another and they begin to pit sides. Oh, you're this way or you're that category. The cancel culture that we have. It all starts to mushroom when we don't acknowledge the source of evil and take evil on, beginning with evil in the hearts of each of us who are, have a fallen sinful nature and are made in the image of God but need to take off the old self and to put on the new self. And so the Apostle Paul exhorts this and then he identifies here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In his day, he understood people were pitting sides. Oh, you're of the Jewish. We don't want to hang around with you. You think you're holier than now. And the Jewish, Jewish people were like, oh, you're a Gentile. You're a non-Jew. And you're a Greek. And you don't believe in the one true God. You believe in all these other gods circumcised and uncircumcised had to do with the Greek and the Gentile world. Barbarian, Scythian had to do with different race kind of issues. Slave or free had to do with different kinds of lots in life. And the bantering back and forth, the divisiveness of it was true in that day as surely as it is in this day. And the Apostle Paul says, take off the old, put on the new, get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Why does he say this? Because we need to reckon that 
we're God's chosen people. And we're to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then we are to live out that life with others. <sighs> Hug the truth. Hug the truth in this day and identify the real enemy and then work and labor to see evil diminished in our world, in our communities, in our families, in God's will and his beauty to be upheld in all things. You know, they say that um, what we're going through in our culture right now, uh, in our society, and it's just not here, I guess, now that uh, the injustice issues sort of spread around the world in different pockets, is we are going through chaos uh, fatigue. Chaos fatigue. Have you experienced it? You see, we have adrenaline, and there's things that, that, that move in our system that cause us to identify, oh, here's a problem, or this needs to be addressed. But if you live in crisis mode, a crisis fatigue, for a long, expended period of time, you will find yourself in a very depressed, broken kind of state. I did not want to take this subject on today. You know why? Because we've been doing the COVID thing. We're trying to practice thing right. We've got the social distancing going. Let's step our way back into this. See if we can do it right as measured and, and then play this way out. Let's get on with the summer. Let's get sports going again, right? And then smack right into the middle of us trying to re-enter as a church and you and I re-enter into a regular normal community life kind of thing is this whole issue of racial and social injustice and the issue of prejudice. And wherever you stand at on this issue, you can't get away from it in our culture. And so I couldn't get away from it here. I'm like, really, God, can, can I just keep moving on in this series and let's celebrate the resurrection? We're back together? No. It's the elephant in the room. For us to ignore it would be like ignoring 9-11 on the Sunday after that terrorist attack. There's something that's happened in our nation and in our world in the last 12 days that God's allowed, just as surely as he allowed a pandemic, for us to come to grips with. But you cannot find yourself in this chaos or crisis fatigue and get weary and bogged down from it. But you have to protect, give yourself space to be able to engage because the church, my friends, the church is on. And I'm not talking about regathering. The body of Christ better respond well. And the reason, the reason we need to respond well is because we've not responded well. I've not responded well. I have friends not only of other, of, of other skin colors, I also have friends of different socioeconomic backgrounds and experiences. I understand diversity. But to me, I would rather just sort of you know, hang with people that um, skin color doesn't really matter to me. I'm, I don't feel that I'm racist or prejudiced, that kind of thing. But I, wanna, I like being with like minds and like hearts, right? But that's not what we're called to as a church. When Jesus called people, he called all people, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and for all. And we have to respond well, and I trust that we do so. I don't know how much longer this goes, but it doesn't matter how much longer it goes as far as the news. We are on it from here till eternity. Because scriptures say in heaven, there'll be people from what? every language, tribe, and nation. And we need to be about it. We need to be a safe place. A safe place for people to come to know Christ, whether in our homes, in our relationships, or at a church building. You know, we had some uh, pretty direct on talks this week with staff. We had pretty direct on talk in our life group. That was by Zoom some, some prayer time. And one of the things that I started to realize for us as a church at the Awakening is we've come on a journey to try to become a safe place uh, for different kinds of people, in particular recently since we moved in this facility, to be a safe place for special needs families, special needs communities. And I think we're getting there. 
And we've been growing in that area, safe place. But you know what I had to ask myself this week? Are we a safe place for people from every language, tribe, and nation? Are we a safe place for people of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different races? Are we a safe place? And is the church at large a safe place? You see, the church hasn't done well with this over the years, the church. You know, the Civil War and the whole issue of slavery and a lot of the roots, I think, I think some of the underlying roots of what we're experiencing now, though you want to say, well, that was 400 years ago. Friends, in the spiritual warfare realm, there are strongholds that tie back generationally. And we are amiss to just forget about those. And I think for this nation, as I've been praying this week, maybe there's some strongholds that go back to that duration. But when the Civil War ended, there was a split and a divide with churches. You had the Northern Baptists and the Southern Baptists, right? And though things have changed over the course of years, denominationally and reconciliation has tried to be made and, re and restitution even in some ways, the residual of racism, prejudice, uh, and other kinds of divisiveness that's even aside from skin pigmentation are issues that the church has to be at the forefront of. And it's not pitting one person against the other. You know, what happens in times like this, I'm with a lot of you in this room, the injustice of a policeman out of control taking someone's life is huge. You say, that is just wrong, and, and if there's racism behind it, it has to be addressed, but that is wrong, and protocols need to be changed, whatever it might be. You can look at the event, you can look at the issue of racism, then you can look at the events that happened after that, whether or not you would agree with protests, it's our right to be able to protest in means. We protested, we had people, Christians, protesting to get back into a building like this, right? That's some of the American privilege. But then the protests turned into some riots and some violence, right? And before you know it, we have this swinging in our emotions going, what? We want justice for all. We want justice for George Floyd, but we want justice for, uh, in our small group, somebody said that they have a friend who's an architect that had his offices burned in Mesa. And you're like, yeah, justice. And we swing back and forth trying to particularly pick a side. Well, friends, you don't need to pick a side in this except God's side. He's the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets. He's the one who holds righteousness and justice equally in his hands. And he's desiring for us as the church to be on it, to be about reconciling. Will you take the mantle? Will your pastor take the mantle? I met with a black pastor this week and shared and interacted briefly, not too much on this issue. But, you know, it was just good to sit down with him as a brother and hear him share because he's a black pastor in a predominantly white church cultural environments. And he's talking about some of the challenge of that and, and some of the opportunities as well. Friends, I'm asking God to change my heart. I trust he's changing your heart or you're willing to see his heart changed because this could be one of the bright and shining moments for us as a church. But historically, it's not been. So what do we do? Well, we come to grips with the reality that prejudice is real, and then we have to begin to identify with where prejudice is at. Ravi Zacharias, as you know, who passed away uh, just a couple weeks ago, he said this as an Indian evangelist living in America and understanding being able to bridge a lot of cultures he did traveling the world. He says the human heart is wrong. Racial prejudice is not the problem. Racial prejudice is the symptom that reveals the real problem. We all think we are superior in some way to others, and we find reasons to dislike certain others. If in our hearts we spurn somebody, the mind will find myriad reasons to justify that cancer of the soul. Don't be dismissive about the pragmatics of the injustice that happens in our culture against real people. But you have to be mindful of what it goes back to in our own hearts even. It goes back to a cancer that we have called a sinful nature. And that cancer needs to be addressed. 
Remember last week we talked about the new normal? Remember? The new normal of an indwelling Holy Spirit? And we looked at this verse, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out of your, st- out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you. I will put my spirit in you. And so we said that the new normal was an indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what we need. An indwelling Holy Spirit comes to live and reside within us if we choose to follow Christ. And many of you have chosen that, whether those of you here in the room today or those of you at home. But some of you haven't. If you want to see the stony, stubborn heart be turned into a heart that's tender and fleshy and, 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 and full of sensitivity and those things, then turn your heart towards Christ because His Spirit then comes to dwell within you. Not just upon you for a season, on and off, permanently, indwelling. And the day of Pentecost, as we celebrated last week, marked this idea of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And He was given to you and I for righteous living, Christ-likeness, for bold witness, to reach those who are away from God, and for inner conviction. The Holy Spirit came to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, and so that inner conviction concerning the desire of peace and justice to abound. But the new normal that I want us to be remembering as we walk away today is an equality of all people. Jesus came and brought a new day, a new dormal. This divisiveness, whether it was in the religious circles between those who were the religious elites and those who were the, the meager followers, whether it was in a socioeconomic means of those who had wealth and those who were poor, whether it was in racial issues, Whatever the skin color may be, and I tell you what, the Mediterranean around that time, you had a people of a lot of different kinds of skin colors. The reality was the prejudice and racism, if you will, of that day didn't have as much to do with pigmentation and it had to do with what tribe you were from or what culture you were from. And you can go everywhere in the world and find prejudice. I remember the first time that it struck me how strange it is that people that look alike would fight one another so vehemently. When I was in Bosnia-Herzegovina back in the year 2000 and realizing what happened in the Bosnian war with the Serbs and the Croatians and the Bosnians, the Muslims and the Christians, and they were shooting up each other's houses right across from one another, right across from a river in Mostar I went to in particular. And I'm like, what's going on? Why can't you people get along? You just destroyed things here. Because it's in the heart and we will grab a hold of anything that uh, makes us realize, as Ravi said there, that there are other kinds of people different from us, and then we'll try to make ourselves look better. So the new normal is the equality of all people, and there's two stories I just want to briefly make mention of today. One is the well, and the other is the dream. The well has to do with the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. If you recall that story, Jesus had to take his disciples from the south to the north in Israel, and instead of going around the middle part, which is Samaria, he said, I'm going through it. But they didn't like to go through Samaria. You know why? Because there was prejudice. They were prejudiced. They didn't like the Samaritans. They were racist. Jesus' own followers. Well, we really have to go through there? And so when he came to this well, it says this in John 4, verse 4. When a Samaritan woman came, To draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now this was at Jacob's well. And uh, he was hot and tired. The disciples went ahead. Here's a woman. I don't know who recorded this. Maybe it was John socially distanced to the side. and He was writing down notes. But uh, he watches Jesus and goes, Is he really going to talk to her? I guess he is. She's a Samaritan. Not only is she a Samaritan, she's a woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now what happens here is Jesus begins to articulate who he is, the Son of God, the Messiah that was longed for, and there's a discussion about how you're supposed to worship and those kinds of things, but she's intrigued. He's also identified that she's been married five times and that the, woman, the man she was living with now wasn't her husband, so she realized he was a prophet. So there's a lot of backstory in this whole thing, but what I want you to look at in this John 4 well story for today is what happens when those disciples that went into town to find a McDonald's or Panera Bread, I don't know, to bring something back to Jesus, they came back and they were stunned. They were stunned. Just then, the disciples came back. It's from the message translation, verse 27. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Who was a part of that group of people? Well, there was someone by the name of Peter. Peter was a part of that. Jesus reached out to the woman. She went and brought out the village, and he shared more, and it was a beautiful event of evangelism. But residing underneath them, the disciples, including Peter, was this, really? That kind of a woman? And so that's why the second story I want to give attention to is the dream. The dream is found in Acts 10. Acts 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So Jesus has been crucified, ascended, uh, rose from the grave, ascended to the heavens. The Holy Spirit's come. We're in the middle of the book of Acts. I mean, we got years, some years here, right, that are happening. And this story, the backdrop, is that a man by the name of Cornelius in Caesarea, which was up the way on the coast from Joppa, where Peter was staying at that time, had had a vision in the afternoon and a dream that he was supposed to send his, uh, some of his workers to go and get Peter in Joppa. Now, Cornelius was an army guy, and uh, he was also a very godly person, but he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And uh, he was a leader in the Italian regiment, the scriptures teach. And he had a hunger to know God. He gave to the poor. He sought God a lot. And God reached down and looked at Cornelius and saw his heart. And he said, I realize that you desire to follow hard after me, but you need to know the fuller truth. I'm going to have you entertain an apostle who followed me. And so Jesus sort of sets this up through his spirit. And so the messengers of Cornelius, they go to Joppa, and they get down to Joppa, and they find Peter, all right? And so Peter, when he is found, has had something happen to him. And what happened to him was a dream too, a vision, a trance. And so about noon the following day, as they were on their journey, they're heading to Joppa, and Peter went up on the roof to play, the, pray. The roofs were flat. And it says, following this, that he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like the large sheet being let down to earth by the four corners. So he had this vision, this dream, and it happened three different times of like a big tablecloth coming down from heaven, and it had all kinds of uh, uh, things prepared to eat. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, and kill and eat. Now, you're going, what's going on with this story? Well, Jewish people, of which Peter was, they had certain food diets, rituals, if you will, that they were supposed to stay away from those unclean things because the rest of the world, they would eat them. And we are holy and set apart unto God as Jewish people, so we would never eat that. Even today, it, some of those food um, provisions and guidelines carry through for Jewish culture. So Peter was locked in his own little groupie, his own little world. Now he had history with Jesus. He knew, he heard the great commandment to go into all the world and disciple all people. But he was still myopic. 
He was myopic, focused on his own world, his own people. And God gives him this vision, and he says, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So Peter has this dream. Cornelius is sending his messengers. The two meet up, and Peter says to them what? I ain't going. Not my kind. No, he goes with them. Because God's breaking down the barriers. He's breaching. He's building, repairing the breach between people. He's restoring. That's what our God does. And so then you find this. When he arrives at Cornelius' house, Peter addressed them. Cornelius got a bunch of people to hang out at his house. And he says, you know, I'm sure that this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this. They don't visit and relax with people of another race, it says in the message version. Hey, don't do this. Don't do this. But you know what? God's been convicting me of some things. And I need to see, even after I've walked with Jesus, even after I saw how he ministered to a Samaritan woman, and he told the story about the Good Samaritan, and other kinds of teachings that Jesus brought to his disciples, Peter knew he still had some work to do in his own heart and his own soul. And he says, okay, this is not something that's normal for us Jews. But God has just shown me that no race is better than any other. He began to teach them. And he began to instruct them. In Acts 10, verse 34, Peter said, Now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. It makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what's right, they're acceptable before him. God sent his word to the Jewish people first, announcing the wonderful news of hope and peace through Jesus, the anointed one, who is the Lord of all. I've been asking the Lord this week. I didn't want to go there. I wanted to go on to other things. Lord, teach me to be someone who's more broken for the racial and social injustice in our world, and may we be a safe place to do real business with reconciliation. And may it begin with me. Part of this came because I had a conversation with somebody who's very close to me this week, and they were talking about the injustice and the reaction of our world, and they gave reference to the riots and I think it's totally wrong to be throwing bricks and burning places. Don't you? All of us do. And it's not just us in this room. The justice that's a general justice of all people, we know that that's wrong. And the reference was given, or I guess I asked, if they'd known people who had done that because of the world that they were in. And uh, they said, yeah, I do. I, I just broke my heart. I go, really? And I'm thinking, I, I wasn't bothered by the person. They were saying this on behalf of their friends, but I was like, really? But I flippantly said, man, people need the Lord. And when I flippantly said, people need the Lord, I was talking back to this whole thing that we have stubborn, stony hearts and people do need the Lord. I had it in a bigger context. But I realized after the fact that I wasn't as sensitive to the concerns of that person's friends and the issues of social injustice as I should have been. It caused a breach, a temporary breach in the relationship, actually. And so I began asking God, I didn't want to go down this valley, Lord, but it's here. You know, what do we do? I'm supposed to be the pastor of the church. Let's get on with this. and Let's get past COVID. Let's get into the summer. Let's fill up the building again, right? And all I know is Jesus just simply said, Carrie, you need to pause. 
and you need to examine your own heart. And so I've taken some time this week to do that. One of the things um, I did was I went back and I reread through Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, address. You remember what that address was about? That changed the direction of social injustice in our world? It was his I Have a Dream speech. His I Have a Dream speech that was given 55 years ago, 56. And Martin Luther King, I guess it's 57, right? That's right, I turned 59 this week. I was two years old when this happened. And he gave this speech to 250,000 people in Washington, D.C. His speech writers, he wasn't very famous, if you will, at that time, but he'd been given this opportunity, and he had this brief speech. And he actually took out of the speech the night before, writing into the night, the whole I have a dream phrase. phrase. But while he was preaching this statement, someone threw out, tell him about the dream! And he was a singer that had sung prior to that, and so he impromptu a lot of that speech. And as I read through that speech this week, I came across some different things. He said, in the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to denigrate generate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And that's what we've seen. We've seen things degenerate. Now, five years after this speech, he was killed by assassin's bullet in Memphis, Tennessee, and all kinds of riots broke out across our United States then. But he had tried to forward it under peaceful protest that dealt not with physical force, but with soul force. And he went on in some other parts, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, and even so through, though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. And it is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. He goes on with many phrases with the I have a dream. But then he says, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, Free at last. Thank God I am free at last. In that speech, he quoted the Amos 5.24 verse. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Inspirational. 57 years ago. Why in the world are we still dealing with it today? I don't know. All that I know is that the sinful human heart and nations that don't follow the Lord will continue to have the problem of prejudice and division, whether it's racial, socioeconomic, educational. We are a people that like to divide, to make ourselves think that we're maybe better than someone else. Why? Because there's an adversary behind revving the engines of division. He doesn't like the image of God, but the image of God is one who restores the breaches. Repairs the breaches and restores the streets. The image of God is one who redeemed all mankind. And the image of God is what we're made in. So if we are people who rightfully have the indwelling Holy Spirit as the new normal, then we as people should rightfully Persist and be about the equality of all people. 
And friends, here's the challenge this morning as I close. It says this in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you and me? He requires that we do justice and love kindness, walk humbly with our God. These are action words. We're to pray, but we're also to act. And I would ask you, as I've asked myself this week, what am I to do? How am I to act? Dr. Tony Evans, a black minister, is very well known. He says this, racism isn't a bad habit. It isn't a mistake. It is a sin. The answer is not sociology, it's theology. And the theology is understanding the study about God, who God is, how he relates to us, how we live for him. And one of the reasons I don't watch news is I go nuts with people not talking about some real answers. We can change policy, we can change conduct, protocol, we can seek forgiveness, we can protest that things aren't right. But to change things, we have to see the heart change. And friends, you and I are in the business of seeing hearts change because we steward the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. First being reconciled with God, then being reconciled with one another, whether in our homes or with our friends or whether with a lost world. We steward the gospel message and we are called to be agents of reconciliation in a broken, divisive world. We get to do this. So, may we find ourselves, as Micah said, doing justice, loving kindness, and giving mercy. Four areas. The individual, the family, the church, and the community. You think about that. How does this need to impact you on an individual level? I had a couple books recommended to me this week. There's another movie that's been recommended to me. And I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be reading. I'm going to try to say, God, how am I in this day and age, even though I'm in crisis and chaos fatigue, how do I step up to be the servant of Jesus in our day? And for an individual, maybe it's just a simple conversation. I want to meet again with the black minister I met with this week and ask him some more questions. I just need to speak to me. For my family, I need to lead better. I never want there to be the perception that there's some elitism or a prejudice or a racism in my heart or in my home and in my household. And what about my church? I want us to be a safe place for all kinds of people. We have a little bit of diversity, but look across this room today, spread out as we are. There's not a lot of it. That's fine. You can be racially reconciled without being racially integrated. I understand that. But maybe God has something different for us as we reach the whole valley. And then what about our community? I can't believe they're protesting. Oh, this and that. Well, wait a second. What are we doing? I appreciate so much just a simple serve event last week. We've got to turn this church inside out for the community. As it's sometimes been spoken to me, and I'm sorry for taking some extra time here today, but it's the first day back in the building. You haven't sat here for a while. Those of you at home, you're chill, chill and relaxed. You probably already went to lunch. It was said to me once by a guy who wrote a book called The Externally Focused Church. He said, here's a question your church needs to answer. If your church ceased to exist, would anybody in your community cry? We've been challenged for three months because we've not been able to meet here on a Sunday morning. And we've been challenged as a staff to think, how do we continue to be the church when we can't have a public gathering? We've got some thinking to do on that. But this next season for us, 
I believe God's calling us to not only be agents of reconciliation and change and equality in our community, I believe he wants us to actively extend ourselves beyond a building and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Love, the love that Jesus came to bring, is the most powerful apologetic to draw people levels of kingdom living and change. Pray about it. Think about it. In the individual, the family, the church, and the community. Lord, in this moment, I thank you as we've gathered. May your spirit rise up within us and may we become a people, a people like you. Lord, may we be individuals, families, a church, and a community that's about powerful reconciliation through your gospel. And may we do it not only by proclaiming your message, but by demonstrating your ministry. Lead us forward, Lord, into a new normal, a new normal for us as a church. I don't know. Joe, you closing? I want to take the time to do something different and instead of standing together as we close to, I know we had a prayer time, but a time to reflect and to really think about that individual, as Carrie said. And are we representing the resurrection of Jesus well in our communities? Amen. You're the resurrection that we waited for. You buried the night and you woke with the morning. You're the king of heaven. The praise is yours. The longer the quiet, the louder the chorus. dead and gone with the winter we will sing a new song and let hallelujahs flow like a river we're coming back to life we're reaching towards the light cause your love is like springtime Forsaken to be receptive 
to the Spirit. There's a lot we have to do, not only in moving forward as a church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. There's a lot we have to do about regathering, coming together, getting everything worked out in this room, online, live stream. But thanks for taking the effort to be here today. We've tried to make this a safe place in light of the COVID-19 efforts. And so with that, the ushers are gonna come and dismiss some people, I think from the back to the front. So there's some appropriate special social distancing can happen. But thanks for coming. We don't receive the offering. That's one of the things that's like, okay, we'll hold on that. But you can give online uh, or there's baskets on your way out if you want to drop your offerings there. But thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. God bless.